Welcome to the Speak the Language podcast presented by On X Hunt. We are excited to be bringing you another new episode. Again, we are so happy as well to be back. If this is your first time ever joining us, welcome to the show. We aspire to create content that is engaging, that is valuable to you, the listener, and that is fun to listen to, quite frankly. And I think we've done that with this episode. A couple house cleaning uh, items first. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a second, just a few seconds, and give us a rating on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Give us a review as well if you have the time. It really does help the show. Also, if you ever have any questions, any content, any topics you want us to cover, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can email us at primoshuntingpodcast at gmail.com. You can direct message me at Lake Pickle on Instagram, or you can message the Primos page at Primos Hunting. Now, to today's episode. As we've alluded to in prior episodes, we have for the first time ever in the state of Mississippi a velvet season, and it is coming up in just a few days. So I decided to interview Mr. William McKinley, who is the deer program coordinator for the state of Mississippi. Now, obviously, the whole velvet hunt thing is a very exciting topic. It's a new topic, it's something that we dive into um, and had a very interesting conversation about, but that's not what we solely focused on. We also talked about CWD. We talked about baiting. We covered a lot of topics, some popular, such as the velvet season, um, some not so popular and more along the controversial side, such as CWD, um, but topics that I think need to be discussed. Um, We, again, had a very good conversation. Can't thank Mr. McKinley enough for coming on the show and sharing his thoughts. Uh, The man knows deer flat out about that, and I hope you get something out of this conversation. Again, if you do, Please don't hesitate. Reach out, email us if you want to add anything, questions, topics, any of that stuff. We love hearing your feedback. And again, I can't ask enough. If you have time, give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcast. It helps the show tremendously. And I'm going to start rambling and get into the interview. I hope you all enjoy the show. William McKinley, thank you for coming on the show today. Before we dive straight into talking everything about whitetail deer and what's going on with the upcoming future here in Mississippi and all that exciting stuff. Can you just kind of tell me a little bit about what your role is and how long you've been, you've been doing this kind of work, just kind of a, I guess, a small synopsis of yourself. Absolutely. Like, uh, my name is William McKinley and I'm the deer program coordinator with the Mississippi department of wildlife. So, um, our deer program consists of our DMAP coordinator, our deer coordinator and our assistant uh deer coordinator and then our private lands program does a lot of site visits out there helping people with with deer management uh i've been on since 2001 i've been specifically in the deer program in some form or fashion since 2003 so uh deer my passion um uh might even say an obsession i've devoted my career to studying these critters and trying to trying to keep them there for a sustainable population for for hunting i'm also a hunter i harvest a lot of deer a year and venison's a meat on my table right right so i guess to go back into that a little bit further so i'm i'm imagining or i'm that that deer was something that you were very involved in early on that you didn't just stumble into this career where you, you grew up hunting i'm assuming i harvested my first deer when i was seven years old and <laughs> i was seven i was holding the gun i was aiming an old 20 gauge shotgun that stock was too long and it was loaded with number three buck and it was a spike and 
I let her rip, and every time I'd shoot that gun, it'd give me a black eye because the stock was too long. I'd have to stick it under my armpit and lean over and try to aim. But, uh, yeah, I killed a spike when I was seven, sitting right beside my dad. And, uh, yeah, so from way back then, and I, there has not been a year since then I have not harvested at least one deer. Mm. Mm. Gotcha. So I can actually uh, remember – I was a student in the College of Forest Resources at Mississippi State in would have been around 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. And I can mm-hmm. remember you you came to one of my classes and gave a talk. I think it was on – I want to say it was on – were you – at one point you were working with some of the high-fence property owners, I want to say? Yes. Uh, for five years I served as the high-fence enclosure coordinator for the state. So – Every high fence in Mississippi is regulated uh, that contains white-tailed deer. They have to be permitted. And uh, so I was the the biologist assigned over that during that time frame for about a five-year stint. Yeah. And then that was until 17. In 17, I became the deer coordinator. And uh, here I am, same position I hold today. So what is going from, you know, being the, the deer program coordinator – I mean, that sounds like to me, just, just knowing how deer hunting centric this state is and all the things that goes on, I imagine a title like that, that has that broad of a spectrum, you have to stay a pretty busy man. I would, I would suspect. Yeah, that is, uh, that, that is correct. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're, we're providing recommendations out there to, uh, new rules and regs, uh, I was asked a couple of years ago, what is the deer program? And my biggest answer is data collection. Mm-hmm. We gather data from hunters. We gather data from spotlight counts, from trail camera surveys, from disease sampling. All of these things go in together uh, and are put forth to make both recommendations, outlooks, and looking back at the past, population estimates. Um, you know, at our population estimates have shown this deer herd's been increasing for the past several years and it appears that it's still going up and so we need more hunters taking more deer out there Mm -hmm. in most of the state which is a that leads me to a good segue um the main i guess kind of the main thing that i guess spurred me into wanting to reach out to you to to have a conversation is we have a velvet season coming up just it's next week, right? Or next weekend. Uh, if you could, because when, when I first heard, like, just, I guess the, the talks about this could be happening and then it came out that it was happening. I just, you know, I've, I'm 30 years old. I was born and raised here in Mississippi. Shooting a velvet buck here was just something that was just, just didn't really seem like a tangible, didn't even seem possible. I mean, you would have kind of a few guys here and there that, shot one on October 1st every now and then that still had velvet on his antlers. I had remember a buddy, I think I was in high school when that happened, but just a velvet deer that just seemed something that just wasn't available to us. And so when that came out, I was like, man, this is something just crazy exciting for a Mississippi whitetail hunter. So I guess just kind of, if you could just kind of shed some light on how this came to be, what the thought process was, if we could just kind of go a little bit in that direction. So 
I was contacted by commissioners and legislators and asked the biological end. Our agency was asked the biological end of having a velvet antlered season. Well, our neighbor to the North Tennessee has been having one for four or five years now. Mm -hmm. And they harvest about 1% of their total buck harvest. Well, that's not a whole lot of deer, but it is a great opportunity to get hunters out there in the woods that want a, 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 a mount worthy, a trophy, you know, that they can't get otherwise. Mm -hmm. A deer in full of And you're right, when our normal bow season, archery season opens October 1, very few bucks are left in velvet. So most of them are shedding their velvet around the end of September to right there in the first few days of October. So this came about, we were asked, you know, biologically, and as long as we're not over harvesting bucks, and this was certainly not something that appeared to cause an over harvest, then biologically, it's not going to hurt anything. So that was the first thing. And I, and I do appreciate that being looked at first. Uh, let's check, will it harm the resource? Well, mm-hmm. no, it's not going to cause harm to the resource. Well, then it's an opportunity we ought to embrace and, and get after. And, and granted, you hear we've heard the talk, some people say, why on earth would you want to do this? And other people are like, wow, thank you so much for doing it. And it's kind of a split out there. But um, that's a lot of people say, I don't want to go out and brave the, the heat or the bugs, but it's almost just as hot October one lake. Well, then uh, don't just, go, you know, yeah, so, <laughs> nobody's uh, making you hunt. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, reminds me of a guy that came to one of our meetings one time. Uh, one of our biologists told about uh, before my time, and he was petitioning that we all close deer season on Christmas Day. I said, well, why? You know, a lot of people are home for the holidays. They get a chance to hunt on that afternoon. He said, I fell all to have one day to spend with his family. <laughs> so <laughs> if it was open, he had to hunt. <laughs> so, just the old funny we tell. Uh, that you, you don't understand, sir. If the season's open, I got to go. <laughs> That's it. I got to go. So uh, this season will be open September 16th through 18th. It's a great opportunity. Most of the deer in the state will still be in velvet. There'll be a few in Northwest Mississippi that uh, will have lost their velvet by then. Uh, The rut up there is a little earlier than the rest of the state, but uh, it's private lands only for this year. Mm -hmm. Our, by the time this passed, our wildlife management area regs are already set. And we said, well, we're going to keep it private land for the first year, and then we will uh, talk about adding some public lands into it for the future. But private land only, archery only, one buck bag limit, and that buck has to meet the antler criteria for the zone you're hunting in. So either 10, 13, uh, or 12, 15. Mm-hmm. And the thing that it's different on this is people can't say, well, I've always been hunting in September and always did it this way. There are a couple of other regulations that this season carries with it. One is you got to have a permit. If you're a resident and you're required to buy license, you've got to have the $10 velvet antlered permit. If you're a non-resident, you have to have the deer permit, which is a $50 license. Mm-hmm. So, Non-residents got to buy the $50 deer permit. Residents have to buy the $10 velvet antler permit. Also, it is mandatory reporting. So we're the only state out there that doesn't have a mandatory reporting system for big game, uh, mandatory tagging or reporting. So this, 
gives us that mandatory reporting for this season. It will that mandatory reporting does not carry on to the rest of the deer season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it will also be mandatory CWD sampling. So that was a, a effort to try to gain an increase in sampling statewide from a very random, uh, a, well, it'll be a very random sample. Yeah, We're going to have all our freezers out for that, for drop-off freezers, and we're working with about 70 taxidermists statewide because let's face it, like, you go out and shoot a 115-inch deer in full velvet, you're probably still going to get that deer mounted. I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I mean, like, I keep going back to it. Uh, just a, a velvet season here, it's, like you said, I mean, there's going to be, I would think, probably upwards of 90% of the bucks that get harvested during this season are taking a trip to the taxidermist because everyone that's is going to be, this is the first – velvet buck i've ever killed in mississippi you know there could be guys that are my you know my father's age that have hunted mississippi their whole life and have never gotten an opportunity to do this that's why it's so exciting i couldn't believe um one the the most shocking thing that you've said so far is that there was a split as far as like how people were reacting reacting to this that blows my mind because yeah, um, we have heard some neg- but you know that's everything i mean if you set a new regulation uh and there's always some negative and there's always positive and you always hear from the most vocal of both sides. I anticipate a high percentage of those bow hunters are going to go out and take advantage of this three day season. Yeah. Oh, I, every person that I have spoken to personally, um, like friends of mine that I know they are fired up about the opportunity, you know, cause it, I mean, I mean, I don't know how they, they couldn't be. Um, and then we've actually, I haven't, the timing of this episode when it actually airs is going to be perfect because this episode is going to come out on September the 13th. So three days before the season opens. Um, So everyone is going to be thinking about it and kind of what one of my goals is um, for this velvet season, I'm trying to find some guys through this um, podcast just to kind of follow along with them or let them keep tabs on how that short velvet season goes for them just because everyone's curious you know how's it going to play out what are they going to see who's going to kill i mean surely there's going to be some truly big deer get killed during well, you this know season. It will because these bucks are on a pattern where they're just focused on food they're in bachelor groups they're coming out in bean fields they're they're coming to a food source persimmon trees are will be heavily dropping you know sawtooth groves if anybody's got a sawtooth oak tree they drop early uh one that's often overlooked is called american plum mm-hmm. uh that's a plum tree that drops in september and so those type food sources deer are going to really be key and in pear trees it's going to be an opportunity to go hunt soft mass like bow hunters may have never had before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they're going to be keyed in on these food sources coming in in broad daylight. So no scent in the woods yet. It's wild. It's such it's a great, it's, and it's a very, I thought there's the other thing too. Um, and if you could speak to this, some, I, I thought when I first heard this was going to be a thing, I, my first guess was it was going to be a very like limited season. I was like, all right, they're going to allot so many permits, kind of like how gator season will still kind of is, you know, people are going to apply and they're going to give so many. And then it's, it's like the permits, $10 in private land. I mean, it's, it's pretty not pretty. It is a very generous 
season and generous opportunity. I mean, as long as you have private land hunting access and you buy that permit, you're good to go. So there's going to, I mean, I wager there's going to be a lot of people in the wood. So our license numbers, archery hunters in the States around 78,000 archery hunters. Mm -hmm. So 78,000 bow hunters, just, I expect at least half of those are going to try to get out. And the, the beauty of this is we'll know how many did because the only reason they're buying that velvet antler permit is for this season. So we're right. going to actually be able to see how many hunters actually took part. We're going to be able to have success rates that we hadn't had, you know, for a three day season It's mandatory reporting. So within just a couple of days, we're going to know that success rate was this percent for during this season. And uh, I'm pretty anxious. I, I am. I, like I said, Tennessee's done it for a few years, killing about 1% of the harvest, but I'm anxious that we're going to have some really nice bucks taken during this time. And, uh, oh, yeah. That's looking what, forward to it. This is what me and Jordan were saying. We're like, all eyes kind of drift towards the Delta, you know. They do. <laughs> Those big beans. The Delta and the big black corridor. and, and Exactly. And, that Knoxby River corridor and Tom Bigby corridors over there, you know, that prairie land, uh, all of those areas produce some really nice deer every year. Some of them you never hear about how good the deer are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They've done a good job of keeping it quiet. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see. What do you, I guess, um, you're talking about CWD sample, like mandatory CWD sampling. Um, mm -hmm. If we could, and we're kind of shifting gears here, and um, but CWD, it, it, it was a very hot topic at one point. It's still kind of a hot topic. What if you could um, CWD in the state of Mississippi right now? What what's our level of concern? You know, or, or right there as a state agency, very high. Very high. This disease we consider is probably the biggest threat to wildlife conservation that we've got in our state right now because mm -hmm. of it is spreading. We found it in nine counties already. Uh, we found one new county this past year, Warren County, and it just doesn't go away like it doesn't. It just keeps slowly expanding out or rapidly expanding out, depending on how regulations are there. Uh, of course, when we find it in a new area, uh, that county has a mandatory feeding ban put on it mm -hmm. and also carcass movement ban put on it. And so, but when you think of the disease spreading deer to deer, uh, unnatural congregation to deer is going to spread the disease a lot faster. So what we know about this disease, let's go ahead and address the human aspect right out of the gate. Uh, it's not a, it's not alive. It's a prion, and mm -hmm. that's different than a virus or a bacteria or a fungus. So it can spread uh, deer to deer, we know, but from a human aspect, there are no documented human cases of catching this from eating venison. However, the risk scientist stress is not zero. There's more and more studies out there happening that says, hey, just don't eat a positive deer. Point blank, get your deer tested. We offer, not a lot of states out there offer testing at the level we do to hunters. We've got 63 drop-off freezers, and we're working with almost 70 taxidermists that you can take your deer to get sampled. So we offer that for hunters for peace of mind. Mm -hmm. Now, 
We pray that it never does make that jump into humans, but we stress, get it tested. Uh, if you're hunting in a CWD zone, it's, I recommend you get it tested even if you're not hunting in a CWD zone, just for peace of mind. Mm -hmm. Now, what we do know is that once it gets established in an area and you start getting prevalence rates up there over 10, 15, 20%, What's most of our, uh, as deer hunters these days, what is our goal in trying to grow on our property? It's a mature buck. A big deer, yeah, a big buck. Well, what this disease does is it lets very few deer live past three years old. Hmm. And we're seeing that in southwest Tennessee. We're seeing it up in Benton County, Mississippi already. Um, we're seeing fewer and fewer older bucks on the landscape because the deer are getting it either when they're born or when they're one year old and they're moving out and they're ending up not living past three years old. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a chance to go collar a deer up in Benton County. We, we have some deer radio collars, GPS collars yeah. in the South Delta and over up in North Mississippi. I got a chance to collar one and uh, he, I darted him. It was in February uh, shot him with a dark gun. He runs about 200 yards as a tracking beacon in the dark that's hung in his skin. Then we get there, we work a deer up. He was the most beautiful one-year-old I've ever seen in that part of the state. He was a one-year-old eight point. Oh, wow. That was in February of 21. He was almost 12 inches wide as a one-year-old. Wow. He was a beautiful first rack deer and he was dead in four months. No kidding. So he was out there walking around in circles and actually run into a UTV that was just riding around the field. And he was completely, he was clinical with, with CWD. So when you, so that's just a real eye opener out there that even those good, you know, your best deer are your worst deer, but they're not living to be what we're trying to grow there. We got every reason to find it early and try to keep its numbers, keep that prevalence down. So when you, I'm going back a little bit. So when you darted that deer in February, did you, were there any sort of indicators to, to make you think that deer was going to contract that disease? Or did you just know you were in a, a CWD zone? We were deep in a CWD zone okay. trapping deer on this property that had uh, about one out of three deer they had been testing were positive. Wow. So they're already finding it at 30% on their property. Well, I had another property I'm working with that six out of six he tested last year were positive. Gosh. So that's in Mississippi and in Benton County. Um, so we had no indication this deer was positive. So the deer, they have it for about 16 months before they go clinical and die. Mm -hmm. So this deer had it. We just couldn't tell. It, it just looked in like fact, a perfectly healthy deer. 51 positives last season in Mississippi and one looked sick. Wow. So we call everybody personally that, that turns in a positive and they don't learn. They learn their deer's not detected by looking online. But if it's positive, we call them personally. We ask them what to do with the venison. And then uh, we will, if they want to turn it over to us, we incinerate it. And um, so you don't learn that it's positive. Uh, by just looking on the internet. We, we talk to them, we answer any questions they got about it and I'll go from there, but always ask them, did the deer look sick? I know perfectly healthy, watched yeah. him fight. He was chasing does, whatever. And, uh, we get those stories and can't believe he's positive, but, but he is. So 
we don't see them when they go clinical very often because they go into a well they often lose they go blind they lose their sense of smell and they just kind of lock down into one spot and waste away it's causing mm -hmm. them to forget to eat to and it's when those holes in the brain form in a in yeah. a spot that controls life they die yeah. um it's a horrible disease a it's horrible a, way yeah. to go and uh we definitely want to try to limit it as much as possible yeah what's what's interesting to me and, and i'm kind of i mean I, I know this is this is definitely not as fun or, or or i guess is you know joyful of a subject as this upcoming velvet season but it, it is something worth talking about because and i guess the attitude and, and you would know this you'd have your finger on the pulse of this way more than i would but i guess and then when you hear those stories like the one that you just told it's it's crazy, you know, that, that, that there's that big of a threat out there. And I sometimes think it's not taken seriously enough. I agree with you. I think it's not taken serious enough either. And uh, I sat in on a meeting of landowners and hunters in North Mississippi, a, a research project that MSU has ongoing. They called several people in the CWD zone that are dealing with it on a daily basis. And they were asking them a lot of questions. And one of the one of the key things that stood out to me was different members in the audience there in this little group. It was just small group discussion. But they kept saying that there's so much misinformation on CWD out there. People just don't realize how bad it is. People don't understand it. This was coming from landowners and hunters in the CWD zone that are dealing with positives and mm -hmm. on their properties. And they're talking about all those other people that you just mentioned that are, you know, many miles away that have this different view of it, that it's just a means to stop baiting. Mm -hmm. um, we could stop baiting in order to stop this disease from spreading all over. Man, we ought to, uh, because once we get it right now, we keep paying for science. We keep hunting. We keep paying for science. Uh, because ultimately I hope science is going to turn out a vaccine or a cure or something of this in the future. But right now there's, if you let it get endemic, like over 5% prevalence, it's, there's no good way of getting rid of it. Mm. So, so there's not really that you, there's not really much of a, a, a control method, but there's not really much of an elimination method. Like, you're right there's a way to keep its prevalence down but as far as completely getting rid of it um uh, there's nothing out there that has shown effective in that so what do you what do you think or, or what are y'all seeing as far as um these drop-off sites and the taxidermists that you can that you can turn um samples into what are you seeing as far as participation there are you having a lot of folks do it or is it is it pretty sporadic it varies across the state and the closer you get to where CWD is, the more participation you get, as you would expect. Mm -hmm. So we have some freezers that get very few deer heads. And, and I might add, I keep saying, drop a sample off. Let me explain what that actually is. We have chest freezers, just like you might have in your utility room set up at locations. Uh, they may be at a MSU extension office, a volunteer fire department. We have a list of them on our website. It's just a chest freezer. It's a card you fill out. 
and there's instructions taped to the top and you drop off the deer's head, take the antlers off. And we don't want the antlers and uh, we, we're not, we want you to take them off before you drop it in. You fill the car out, you tear the bottom of the card off and we clean out those freezers every Monday. We thaw them on and cut them on Tuesday, transport them to Jackson on Wednesday. They go to the lab at MSU, uh, the vet diagnostic lab at Pearl, Mississippi. They go there on Thursday and we start getting results back on Friday, Monday, Tuesday, uh, except on big, big volume weeks like Christmas week, New Year's week, uh, things get delayed then. And sometimes stuff breaks. I mean, but overall we try to turn it around as fast as possible. So mm -hmm. it involves leaving that head. Now kill a deer. You don't want to leave the head on. You want to get it mounted. We got all these taxidermists. We're actually paying taxidermists. Uh, Dan Heasley does it. Yeah. 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 So we pay $10 a sample to the taxidermist. And we were, would actively recruit more taxidermists if they will work with us uh, mm. in the state. So we have sent postcards to every permitted taxidermist in the state and asked them to participate with us. So uh, we'll pay them for those samples. And we get these samples back. And, uh, um, you know, we... We got, I forget how many, I think around, uh, it was over 2,000 samples just from taxidermists last year across oh, wow. the state. Wow. So that participation goes well. Um, and the drop-off freezers is good. Uh, it's really good up in Benton and Marshall counties. And then it, as you get further and further away from it, you know, it begins to taper down. Which some people are concerned, but to other people, it's a disease that's way off, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that a lot. And, and then I guess to go back to this, this one too, I thought about, we were talking about, cause I've had, I don't know, there's been folks that, uh, they've, I've been accused of being against baiting before. Cause we've talked about some of these, I uh, just different issues before. Like I'm not anti baiting, but I am pro, you know, figuring this kind of stuff out, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, I can, I guess, articulate some of this because, again, going back to my, my Mississippi State days, I remember sitting in a wildlife diseases class that Dr. Steve Damaris taught. But um, if you could just kind of go over why, you know, the reasoning for the baiting ban when CWD sure. pops up, what are we, what, what is the, I guess, the logic behind that? The logic is trying to reduce animals concentrating and eating in the same spot after another. And it's going to be compared to food plots. It's going to be compared to a persimmon tree. We can't control those lake. Uh, but what we can control is deer putting their face, their, their snout into a small area where the deer before them may have been positive. And in that 15, you know, 12 to 15 month phase that the disease is lying dormant in the animal, and it's incubating, but yet they're contagious. And a deer eats, it drops a kernel of corn out of its mouth and the next deer picks that kernel of corn up from that particular site and you've just left an infection spot. Mm -hmm. And it increases the spread. Feeding doesn't cause it uh, no more than, you know, it's, it's just caused by a prion and that deer is shedding those prions in its saliva. Right. So as it's salivating and feed falls out of its mouth, you're going to end up with the next deer coming along. You just increase the transmission rate. Mm 
Right. It's not causing the disease. It's just speeding it up on your property that one of those guys at that meeting said, you know, we tested six deer last year and all six of them were positive. And this was at the meeting I mentioned uh, earlier mm -hmm. at, a, at a meeting with mm -hmm. some guy that MSU is hosting a, a research project that invited landowners in. He, uh, he said, you know, I did what I thought was right and that I was feeding very heavy. I had several feed sites and mineral sites on my property. And then we discover it CWD is here. We didn't know it was here. Uh, we discovered it was. He said six out of six deer I tested last year were positive and all two the year before were positive. But my neighbor over here just a few miles down the road found one out of 30 positive. He said, he's not feeding. I have been for years. I think I was spreading it and infecting every deer on my place in a rapid manner. So yeah. um, that's why we ban it to slow the spread. Yeah. And yes, it is one of the most controversial things we do, but. Well, I mean, being in the role that, that you're in, that everyone in that department's in, you, you sometimes are, are forced to make decisions that I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure it was no surprise that when you realize that banning the bait in some areas, like this is probably not going to be a very popular decision, but. It's like, it, it's one of those things where it's like the, the mindset is not, we're going to take your baiting away. Cause it, I mean, like, but the, the regulations on baiting have, have become more, uh, have become loosened over the past few years. There's more opportunity for someone wanting to bait. It's become a very popular method of hunting. I have nothing against that, but it's, and it's like, that's what I want a lot of folks to understand is it's, it's you need to see past just the baiting being lost. Cause it's, it's, it's not, no one's trying to take your opportunity away. They're trying to preserve what the resource that we have, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Right. It, we actually try to increase harvest in CWD areas because we want people to harvest more deer there. We want deer densities to not get overpopulated and spread the disease faster. But on the, on the aspect of feeding and baiting, it's, Yes, it is a controversial topic, and but in our role, do we want to look back and go, no, we didn't stop it, and we knew it would probably slow the spread, but no, we didn't because it, it we just didn't feel it was the right thing to do. I can't, I can't, you know, how do right. I look back 10, 20 years when this disease is then spread into an area that it probably wouldn't have been? if we had actually enacted these and enforced these regs. Mm -hmm. So we've got to do what it takes to try to help slow the spread of this disease down. One grain of sand, yeah. that's the size of the amount of positive material it takes to infect another deer. 100% of the time, one grain. So think of how much saliva on one kernel. So we know that buck spread it probably at scrapes. We're not going to stop that. Uh, uh, we know that their does may be spreading it to their offspring. We can't stop that. What we can stop is those carcasses moving and the unnatural congregation of deer, mm -hmm. concentration of deer at feed sites. So right, right. We work on what we can, and we keep hunting, and we pay for science. Understood. And we're gonna we're gonna reach something on this disease ultimately. We're gonna reach a point. I, I got faith. There are prion institutes set up all over this continent 
studying this disease now. And yeah. so there's too much, too much uh, research going on for something not to turn up. Some, yeah, somebody figure out something. Yeah, that's right. Let's, um, let's turn this back onto a positive note before we, before we wrap this yeah. up. Um, so like I said, when this episode comes out, we will be three days prior to the opening of this anticipated velvet season that so many mm-hmm. are excited about. Um, I don't know if, I mean, I, like I said, I, you're, you're only going to get busier and I understand that. But so if we, I don't know if I, if I would request as much to, to, you know, burn up another half hour or 45 minutes of your time. But if we could maybe after this thing is over, if we could maybe get, you know, a snippet or a quote from you on, on how everything went, if y'all were happy with it, if, you know, just, just, just something on the overall. Absolutely. I, I would love to do that. I actually, everything got in high gear. So a lot of people look at you know, they say, Hey, I guess you're going to get busy when deer season opens. And I'm like, <laughs> man, to prep up to it is like way busier than the actual season itself for the, for the <laughs> biological aspect. We're getting stuff ready. But when this season actually gets underway and ends, there'll be a little breathing room. And yeah, I would love to uh, come back on, do a snippet on it, tell how it went, tell a few stories about deer getting killed that we've heard about across the state and, and I uh, would love to do that. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time. I can't thank you and everyone involved on, on making this happen. I just think it's such an exciting thing. Whenever, uh, like you said, whenever we can still look at the resource, res- you know, respect it and use it wisely, but at the same time, uh, open more opportunity for hunters. That's, that's the goal, right? And I, that's looks like what y'all are hitting the nail on the head with this velvet season. So, um, thank you for that. We're super excited to see how it plays out. And again, thank you for your time and, and what you do, um, for Mississippi's wildlife. Thank you very much. And you're welcome. And, uh, I want to say one thing about our staff as we close, nearly every guy and gal I work with are hunters too. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're managing this resource for a lot of selfish reasons. We want to <laughs> see it for us and our kids and grandkids. My daughter, uh, she's 15. She's taking a, she's taking a four deer now and with me in every case. And I want this resource there for her and my grandkids and, and so do all these other folks we're working with. So uh, yeah, we got the same goal as you do. Awesome. We want a good, sustainable, healthy wildlife resource out there. Yeah, I think we all do. That should be the goal. That should be the goal. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. We look forward to hearing from you again. And uh, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Perfect. We'll see you next time. All right. We done.